0: Learn what better writing can do for your company at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said, done.
1: From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang.
2: of where innovation, money, and power collide in Silicon Valley and beyond. This is Bloomberg Technology with Caroline Hyde and Ed Ludlow.
3: I'm at Bloomberg's world headquarters in New York,
0: and i Ed Ludlow in San Francisco. This is Bloomberg Technology.
3: Coming up: Amazon, Meta, Apple, all out with their latest earnings. We'll dig into the latest results from big tech.
0: Plus Vision Pro hits stores. We'll take a closer look at Apple's latest bet on the future.
3: And an exclusive interview with the NVIDIA CEO, where he sees the biggest benefit from the AI boom. But first, let's get straight to some of these big moves when it comes to tech ed, and we are at record highs when it comes to meta-extraordinary.
0: Yeah. Record highs on meta. There's like a compare and contrast here. Apple, I kind of think it's the story we expected. They did grow overall in the quarter gone just just and they avoided five straight quarters of sales decline. But the stock is down significantly back to where it traded in November. Why greater China sales in greater China missing by like three billion dollars. But the narrative on the call. Yeah, we are four of the top six handsets in urban China. In Congress messaging, we'll dig deep into the growth story for this stock. And then there is Meta, right? Meta, to me, is the story today, probably. We're on track for the biggest jump since February of last year. The stock is touching fresh record highs. Is this an AI story or is this a cyclical rebound in ads? Either way, one year ago, we lamented the spend and cash burn from Facebook reality labs on on the metaverse. But one year ago, we also said, okay, your efficiency is here, this is good. They're back to hiring and he's thrown in an additional $50 billion buyback and a divvy, and it's a wonder what it can do for the stock carrot
3: funnily enough, investors like it. <laughs> and let's dig into the meta earnings and really what it says about cost discipline. Jasmine Enberg is with us and pleased to say, Principal Analyst at Insider Intelligence, where you lead the coverage of social media, the creator economy. And before we get into some of the juiciness for the investor base, what do you make of the out and out numbers of revenue growth at this particular moment?
4: Yeah, well, it's clear that Meta's year of efficiency has really paid off. Many of the measures that it took last year helped it reduce its costs, uh, it reduced its headcount, and even with this leaner team and operations, it was really able to exceed expectations um, really across the board and and importantly, of course, in its core line of business, which is advertising. And to me, this is really a, a testament to Meta's execution power. If you look across the social landscape, it is a the coolest or, or the most exciting social player out there but it is the most sophisticated and it knows how to drive business and advertisers really like that
3: yeah they were investing in the underlying advertising technology to better serve their clients but what do you make of also the talk of generative ai the llama has become basically the te- giveaway when you go to ai events and much of that is of course based on their large language model but what does it do in terms of future revenues jasmine
4: Look, Meta wants to be an AI heavy hitter, and it is working hard and investing in AI to be able to do that. On the earnings call, just in the prepared remarks, you heard executives mention the word AI about 50 times, which really shows how much they're trying to emphasize their work there as well as how much they truly are working there. And its AI investments have already proved to have a positive impact on its ad business. They talked a lot about um, its automated tools and AI-driven ad formats. driving performance and at the end of the day advertisers they want efficiency and they want effectiveness and those investments have have really paid off there and that bodes well for its broader ambitions in AI as well.
0: I think what we're understanding Jasmine is the relationship between the, the ad business and, and AI now, right? And so Bloomberg writes in the blog, Meta is still the king of digital advertising. But what they point out is that the boost is coming from China-based companies on spending and, and it's an association with AI-generated content. Do you understand that relationship and how AI is, is basically growing interest in its ad base?
4: Absolutely. I mean, AI, of course, is growing interest in its ad base and and generative AI in terms of the creative tools that Meta is also rolling out for advertisers will will do a lot to to prove that. I mean, the China-based advertisers um, is a potential risk factor, though um, I wouldn't say it's necessarily the biggest one um, because they have been buoying spending as well throughout 2023.
0: Later in the program, we're going to go very deep on Apple's Vision Pro and it makes you think about the meta Quest 3. Yeah. You know, it is hard to keep up with Meta. We were a social media company, and then we were a Metaverse company, but it was expensive, so we stopped, and now we're an AI company. Did you get any sense of, like, where the hardware fits into all of this, and if the Metaverse dream is still alive?
4: Well, the Metaverse dream is very much still alive. They didn't talk about it as much on on the earnings call yesterday. Again, the focus was really on AI. And for me, the big challenge now is for Meta to be able to prove that those two big bets, one being AI and the other being the Metaverse, really are complementary. It started to lay some of the foundation for that, thinking about the Ray-Ban smart glasses. And, you know, it it talked about good sales for its MetaQuest in in the last quarter. So there are... know, some signs of progress there. Still, for me, you know, the metaverse is is somewhat of an ill-defined concept, uh, and it's something that, you know, meta is going to have to continue to prove um, uh, as it it continues um, to Uh, form this vision. Mm. It also has to ensure that it can keep up the momentum in its advertising business or investors won't be as willing to overlook those losses that continue to mount in, in reality labs.
3: Interestingly, maybe Apple's Vision Pro serves as some boost to sales to Meta going forward as they help with outlining the vision. Jasmine, I'm interested though, you said that China, for example, isn't the biggest risk. For you, what is the biggest risk? Is it regulation?
4: It's certainly one of them. I mean, just this week as well, CEO Mark Zuckerberg testified in front of Congress about um, protecting children online. That was a really heated conversation, and it's clearly going to be one of their biggest challenges this year. I mean, teen popularity has become you know somewhat of a liability at least in the eyes of lawmakers but young people also represent Facebook and Instagram's largest or one of their largest really opportunities for growth and it's going to have to walk a really fine line in terms of protecting their safety on these platforms and generating revenue there's also of course a lot of other regulated regulation that meta um, has to think about both here in the US and in the EU and then there's the digital ad market you know I think meta was able to some concerns um, already in in the earnings call yesterday, but it is susceptible to fluctuations in the economy that um, really can impact advertiser demand.
0: Jasmine Enberg, Principal Analyst over at Insider Intelligence with the Meta story. Thank you very much. Let's get to the Apple story and Apple earnings with Dan Ives, Senior Analyst of Equity Research at WebBush Securities. Dan, just real quick, the stock is pairing its decline. We're now down six tenths of a percent. We had been down significantly more. What is the story? A return to growth overall or China is a problem?
5: Yeah, I mean, Ed, the street's reading through this is iPhone growths coming back. Next quarter is essentially massively conservative guidance, and now you have AI coming into the Apple story. So, so no one's selling Apple heading into that narrative, and in my opinion, this is the start of the renaissance of growth for Apple.
0: Conservative guidance, though? I mean, go back. Like, like what we hang on are the words of Luca Maestri, basically. He said that that December quarter would be essentially flat. We ended up with slight growth overall and weakness in China. You know, we're not talking about, like, a big rebound here, Dan. We're talking about them staying out of five consecutive quarters of, of, of growth declines. If there is growth, where does it come from?
5: Well, our are- view is... you. You don't need to have hyper growth in iPhones. Go to mid single digit iPhone growth is really what you need. Services is the key to valuation, one point five to one point six trillion. And then look at their active install base. I mean they just gave the update, two point two billion. So you now have that, that golden install base and now you're selling AI into that. That's a narrative that, that in my opinion, investors are just going to continue to sit here and buy up the dips. When
3: you're looking at the overall strength of new products, Dan, there has been so much hand-wringing about the iPhone 15. Then today, we're going to talk about it a lot in a moment, the Vision Pro goes on sale. How much is that in any way going to be a catalyst for liking Apple's tech? Because it was under pressure when we started to think about, well, the fact that the overall watch was pulled and we questioned ultimately the underlying technology of Apple.
5: Look, I think, but again, again, Apple continues to get counted out. I mean, you know, Germer will talk more about the Vision Pro, but... Originally we had 300,000 units for Vision Pro. Now we think for the year it's 600,000 and and two years from now I think this is a sub-1500-hour device that's going to look like sunglasses and it just goes back to the form factor and why you own Apple here. Some of the parts, I believe a year from now, it's a four trillion dollar market.
3: Okay, so give us that catalyst give us what's is it a slow grind a slow belief a commitment of investors or is there something that snaps down that makes us rebuy and decide to drive the stock back to a four trillion well
5: what's i think it's you? the ai app store we believe starts to get talked about at wwbc uh, in june and then iphone 16 as well as iphone 17 they're going to have more ai technology generative ai driven into that And then you look at that install base, 2.2 billion, that was 100 million more than we were expecting. This is the start of a renaissance of growth. It's my view of where meta was 18 months ago. The street did not realize it at the time. I think 18 months from now, we look back at this as a seminal moment.
0: Dan, I I wanna go back to China. I wanna understand what's happening. This is what Luca Maestri told us, that Apple's disappointed with the decline in China, but it's a very competitive market. Compare that with what he said in his opening remarks on the call. He cited that Kantar data that Apple occupies four of the top six handset slots in Greater China. In the prior quarter, they said this isn't an iPhone problem. This is Mac and iPad where we have not had a refresh cycle. Explain the the contrast in those two statements. Yeah, look, there's definitely
5: not champagne and roses in Beijing for Apple right now. I mean, they're clearly going through headwinds from Huawei to geopolitical. But our view is, you have 200 million iPhones in China, and they gained 300 bps of market share the last 18 months. I, but Apple has been here before. They've navigated challenges again and again. So I think when you look at what they've been able to do and the install base, they're basically being cautious. But I think we see growth second half of the year return and we view this as more of them navigating headwinds rather than the start of some structural problem that the bears have been talking about for the last two trillion of market cap upfront.
3: Dan Eyes, always great to catch up with you. Where in the world are you? We don't know potentially. And it looks like an airport at the moment. Analyst of equity research at Webbush Securities. Stay well, friend. Have a great weekend. Meanwhile, coming up, we're going to be raking down the latest numbers from the jobs report. Sylvia Martinschivik is going to be joining us, CEO of the workforce management platform, Deputy.
6: What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop, customer satisfaction scores would rise, and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in.
3: back to where these markets are trading at the moment, in amongst the earnings there is a whole load of impact coming from the macro picture today. NASDAQ drives higher, 1.2%, led, of course, by some mega moves in meta that we were just discussing. Amazon doing well. We'll dig into that in a moment. But the 10-year yield, phenomenal sell-off, 18 basis points higher on the two-year. We're seeing significant moves on the 10-year as well across the curve. Why? Absolute blowout report when it comes to the overall jobs surge, 353,000 in the last month. What then of all the tech layoffs that we've been seeing? It seems as though this economy is still going strong and it means the Federal Reserve is unlikely to be cutting any time as soon as March, and certainly it's vindicated in holding rates steady. Bitcoin, as I show, actually up six cents percent, despite the U.S. dollar managing to rally on the back of those numbers that make macro data as well. But Ed, this picture is so surprising when you think of our area of technology and just the ongoing narrative of job losses.
0: I'm just going to read the numbers again because you're exactly right. And if you go on X, look at the number of Fin. Uh, what do we used to call it? Whatever, people that talk about finance on formerly known as Twitter platform. (laughs) The number. Exactly, but it's a blowout, right? 353,000 jobs added in January, higher than all economists estimates. The bulk of the data showing more employment, higher pay and payroll increases across all industries. I guess the question, where do we sit with technology? So let's bring in Sylvia Martinshevik for her take on this. She's the CEO of Global Software Platform Deputy, which recently put out a report on the changes expected in the workforce this year. Um, it, it, we're trying to understand what's happening in the economy and, and in the technology sector there is, forgive the pun, but an artificial uh, uh, thing happening with artificial intelligence that muddies the, the picture of hiring in particular. Your reaction to that number this morning?
1: Uh, Good morning, and uh, thank you so much for having me. Yes, we are seeing that for the 24th consecutive month, the unemployment rate is sub 4%. And yet, you know, we're hearing so much about uh, AI uh, taking, uh, taking jobs away. And what we at Deputy obsess about is how will AI impact hourly workers? These are the frontline workers, whether they're nurses or... Uh, retail workers, and what we're hearing from hourly workers, they themselves are reading the same reports and, you know, they believe that AI is going to impact and change their jobs and roles. Uh, But what we find is that in most scenarios, AI is more likely to complement specific work tasks rather than replace the workers. And really, when you think about the workers that we support, a deputy, whether that, again, are workers in elderly care or hospitality, or services, we all prefer the human touch in those jobs. And those jobs are still, there's still a lot of lack of employees in those jobs. And what's interesting about your report as well,
3: humans are still cheaper than AI in many of these roles at the moment. And well, look, we're still all testing artificial intelligence, whether or not we really get the implication of being able to do more with less. But Sylvia, what's really interesting this job support was women. 198,000 increase. In in employment for women. So participation going up, making up for a pullback in men. And you had some interesting thoughts about how much AI is going to help or
1: hinder females in the workforce. Absolutely. We cannot talk about labor markets without talking about women. They constitute over 50% of hourly workforce, so this is an incredibly important topic. And when you think about historically, what were the barriers to women entering workforce? We know it's childcare accessibility and affordability, and it's also lack of predictability. But, you know, at Deputy, we ask, what do women want from their work? And how can technology enable that? And what we found is that women want more predictability and they want more flexibility when it comes to their weekly work schedules. And, you know, our, our mothers and grandmothers worked nine to five, but women of today, Gen Z and millennials, they don't want nine to five shifts. And so how can technology help that is actually we believe that it can be a great enabler. Um, micro shifts is one specific trend that we're seeing where women work for a couple of hours in the morning, then they take you know, care of their kids or their aging parent, and then they go back to work and work a couple of hours at night. So that micro-shift um, trend is something that we believe technology can help. So we really do believe that more tech in this space will provide more opportunities for women to continue to re-enter workforce after childbearing.
3: Love a bit of optimism around the AI story on what felt like a week where there wasn't much. Sylvia Martinskiewicz, we thank you so much. CEO of Deputy.
0: It's the official release day for Apple's big bet on virtual reality. The Vision Pro, Bloomberg's Dave Lee, is live from Manhattan outside the flagship Apple store. The doors are open. It's on sale. What have you been up to?
7: Well, I've been here since about seven o'clock when it was slightly warmer than it is now, I have to say. And at seven, there was a healthy line of people waiting to to, to head straight in and be some of the first uh, to buy this new Vision Pro, which, of course, went on sale today for $3,500. Tim Cook, the Apple CEO, as expected, he was here. He opened the store, came out, greeted everyone, said thanks very much, and all the usual things we've come to expect from these first sales days for Apple. And then downstairs, I have to say, there's a decent amount of excitement People, you know, It takes about 20 minutes to, to get this thing fitted, so people were doing that and, and you know, seeing what all the features were and then emerging shortly after. So it's not quite an iPhone day, Ed. I mean, the, the line is, is definitely gone now. You can just head straight in if you'd like. Um, but a significant amount of excitement, I think, for the, for the Vision, uh, Vision Pro on this first, uh, this first morning.
3: Dave, I was lucky enough to be flanking you at 7am and heading down there and having a chat with Tim Cook, and he seemed to be thinking that really it's the intuitive nature of this device It's got people really excited. The fact that you're just using your eyes, the fact that you're just using your own hands. You haven't got a controller. He himself also really liking the productivity use of it. But from your perspective, what do you like about it? You've tried and I know you're a bit of an addict to the Quest, for example. What about this particular iteration?
1: (laughs)
7: Well, let's see, what I think is interesting here, Caroline, is you know what are we going to use these things for? And in Apple's case, they seem to you know they're targeting this extremely premium, I guess, more immersive, higher quality experience where productivity and entertainment seem to be the focus. Meta's approach has been something a bit cheaper; it's only five hundred dollars compared to thirty-five hundred dollars, uh, and you can move around with it. You can do the exercises, something I is uh, really fun on that device. There are two sort of different philosophies, and, and Apple's philosophy philosophy comes with that bigger price point as well. Where I think Apple may, over time, get the upper hand is that you know this is the, the V1 of this product, and Tim Cook has been kind of stressing that as well that this is a you know a new entry for them into a new computing format. The idea that this is going to get better and cheaper, it, you know that's clear in the same way the iPhone improved over time. So I think that's what's going to be interesting here is not V1 as we've seen today, but V2, V3. If it can come down in price, be a bit lighter, maybe less bulky, um, I think that would be when we can really tell whether this is genuinely a new a smash hit new Apple product or whether it's something a bit more niche.
3: Dave Lee doing your duty down there in Lorraine we really appreciate your opinion on this particular device we thank you for it Dave Lee on Fifth Avenue. Let's have a quick check on these markets, Ed, because the NASDAQ manages to outperform even though we're worried about a strong macro picture that means perhaps the Federal Reserve ain't going to be cutting as soon as March, but dig into what's driving the NASDAQ 100. Just sea of green. Even Apple turns up to run, well, less than a point higher, but that's after their numbers showed, yes, a return to revenue growth, eking out that 2%. The market had anticipated a 1%. But remember, after four straight quarters of declines in revenue, that was a standout despite that weakness in China where we saw revenue. Off by 13%, but meta, absolutely extraordinary, up 20%, new record high, and we're still seeing, of course, they're managing to be tripling profit. They're really driving up revenue growth. They're going back to the basics of what's good at advertising as well as still investing in their AI. And then we leave you to Amazon, up more than 7%. Best online sales growth since early in the pandemic. This is about quicker shipping times. This is about job cuts. This is about discipline, and we can get to it with our next guest, Ed.
0: Yeah, I think that there's a really interesting difference with Amazon, and that is principally, hey, look at the profit we're going to hit in the current quarter. Let's stick with Amazon with Stefan Slewinski, Global Head of Software Research at BNP Paribas, and And it just goes down to fundamentals. We love exciting stories. Meta's about AI and competition in ads, and Apple's about China and Vision Pro. For me, Amazon's just about, we're going to make a lot of money in the current period, and it's a lot more than the street thought.
8: Hi Ed, thanks for having me on. So you're absolutely right. Um, AWS, Amazon Web Services, squeaked by with 13% growth, but that was good enough. They are still losing share, we think, to Microsoft Azure. Um, But we're seeing a recovery in cloud computing, large deals being signed, um, optimization ending. And that allowed for the market to focus on those North American margins, um, which they're able to lift and, and beat expectations. And I think what was important as well is with the Q1 guidance, um, they've actually left more room for upside. So if you look at the Q1 guide, 8 to 12 billion of EBIT, um, if you assume Amazon Web Services margins remain flattish at 29, 30%, you assume international still loses some money, that actually implies the North American margins would go down from 6 to 4%. That's unlikely. Um, the company gave us reasons why we should continue to see efficiencies there. So I think people see potential for beats coming ahead as well.
0: I've, I've not ever heard of that, a company guiding conservatively and, and leaving room for, uh, for upside. Uh, I'm just kidding. The, the, the thing that I'm interested in is the advertising business, because AWS one-on-one with Azure, we know the competition there. But Microsoft doesn't have that right now ad business. How much of a strength is that for Amazon?
8: I mean, certainly the ad business plays a good part of their, their um, uh, online business, and, and that's been growing healthily in the mid-20s, and that's helping that margin as well. So as you pointed out earlier, you know, Amazon was a company that in, in, in 2022 was doing sort of a 1% margin. Um, the market thinks that that can get up towards 10% here in, in 2025, and growing ads is a part of that. Um, but I do think we need to keep an eye on what's happening with AWS versus Azure, Um, Amazon Web Services is 50% of the cloud computing market um, if you look at just Microsoft, Amazon and Google together. But in 2023, if you just look at the incremental revenue that those three generated in 2023, actually Amazon's share was down to 35%, mm-hmm. with Microsoft Azure at 45%. And that's thanks to obviously the OpenAI relationship and, and what um, uh, Microsoft and Google are doing on, I, on AI. I do think that gap may close again, um, as, as AWS benefits maybe a bit more from the end of optimization. Uh, but that is something to watch as some of those share losses continuing in, on, on the cloud computing side.
3: I'm interested in your price target, an ultimate sort of neutral rating on this stock. When we're thinking of $1.7 trillion market capitalization, that's still enormous. You see though, what I think a price target correct me if I'm wrong, of 150, so below where we're currently trading. Why that conservative nature of coming from you, Stefan?
8: Yeah, we, we did raise that today to 160, you but do. we are still neutral. Um, but we do think that all three cloud computing companies benefit this year from Gen.AI. Um, so that's Microsoft Azure, that's Google Cloud, that's Amazon Web Services um, and we actually think that that's a better way of playing Gen AI this year than the SaaS companies where we may see some disappointments and that's Microsoft Copilot, it's maybe Adobe Firefly or or even ServiceNow with, with Pro Plus, where we may not see that revenue generation this year. When we look at Amazon versus Microsoft, we do prefer Microsoft, we are outperformed there. Um, there is a valuation gap, it's shrunk Um, But you are on sort of 27 times earnings for Microsoft on 2025, about 30 times for Amazon. um, And you still do have um, much higher margins, of course, much better returns at Microsoft, and and probably even higher revenue growth. So we think all three will benefit, um, but we have to have some preferences, and, and that's why we stick with Microsoft.
3: Stefan, great to put that context into play for us. We thank you so much. Stefan Sawinski, Global Head of Software Research over at BMP Parabat Exan. We thank him for it. Meanwhile, let's get back to the other big stock on deck, Apple's earnings. Bloomberg Intelligence Senior Analyst Anurag Rana joins us. and Anurag, well the shares actually turning positive after a 4% slump. Are we managing to counteract it with the Vision Pro news or is it more that we're getting okay uh, with the fact that China will be short term in nature?
9: Yeah, I have no idea. I'm, I'm a bit surprised at that, too. I mean, I, I, I think the print last night basically said there's going to be very little growth this year. So, so it is concerning. Um, and and I, I don't think Vision Pro can offset that. Listen, if, even if you sell one million units, which is way above anybody else in the world has, has modeled this out, that's three and a half billion in revenue. Apple generates over, you know, the, the consensus is roughly around $400 billion. So that would be, le- you know, less than 1% of total, uh, you know, revenue addition to Apple. So if, this is not a needle mover when it comes to sales. I mean, China is the big factor, and, and we see nothing but disappointment there.
0: Kara uh, Anurag's keeping it real, which, if you read some of the notes out this morning, he's a bit of a standout in that respect, yeah. because a lot of people do see growth. Um I still don't understand this issue of China. You know, we've done a lot of it on the show, but one thing that we haven't discussed is services revenue in Europe and the installed base. Yep. You know, the installed base continues to grow. So even if you look at one market geographically and say weakness in China or one product yep. category, weakness in whatever, overall, more people are buying Apple products and they have Apple products and the services side's doing good.
9: Yeah, see, one of the things you have to talk about, we all know Apple's a phenomenal company. Amazing, you know, install base services, all sorts of things uh, that's going. But at the same time, you want to talk about the revenue model. How much can this grow this year, next year? This year, it's going to be less than 5%. Next year, maybe 5%. So the question is, how much do you pay for a stock that's going to grow, you know, 4 or 5%. And, you know, I was listening to your colleague uh, before, when you look at somebody, something like an AWS or a Microsoft, you're going to get double-digit growth uh, for multiple years to come. So you you take that into account and then you, you know, match up. Uh, Apple has a lot to explain here that how do they get to that seven eight percent growth here and I think it's it's going to be a challenging task at least for this year and next year
4: because at
3: the moment the market braces for yet another revenue decline in their fiscal second quarter so back to what we were seeing all of last year I mean any exuberance about this new VR AR reality that we get on sale today Anurag
9: no, not not on that. But you know, he did utter the magic word GenAI on the call, mm-hmm. and they're gonna you're gonna talk about uh, launching some new tools and slash products sometime in the second half of this year. I think that's a wild card that could, you know, basically uh, prove me wrong. Because if they're able to come up with certain things that are embedded in iOS 18, that will really make productivity higher, then you don't really need to download an app and do a lot of that stuff. And for that, maybe you need to go to iPhone 16 or the next version of the iPhone that may have some capabilities um, and then can drive the refresh cycle of
0: iPhone that we've been all waiting for. Bloomberg Intelligence Senior Analyst Anurag Rana, keeping it real. Thank you very much. Happy Friday. Coming up on the programme, my exclusive conversation with NVIDIA CEO Jensen Huang. This was big picture and it was deep. Check it out next. This is Bloomberg Technology.
6: What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop.
0: Jensen Huang says that artificial intelligence will matter to every single country and industry on the planet. And crucially, that's going to drive up sovereign AI demand for his company's products. I spoke to NVIDIA's CEO yesterday. Listen to this.
10: You have seen um, uh, India, Japan, um, uh, France, uh, Canada now, uh, Southeast Asia, Singapore, uh, speak up about the importance of investing in sovereign AI capabilities. Uh, it has uh, become abundantly clear to each one of the countries that that their natural resource, which is the data of their country, uh, should be should be um, refined and produce intelligence of their country for their country. And that capability of refining the data of their country of their country and turn it into their artificial intelligence. It is now possible in a in a quite a quite a democratized way. Almost every country should be able to do it for themselves, and and um, what's needed, of course, uh, is the technology and the know-how of standing up AI infrastructure, and that's where we could be uh, quite helpful to to um, uh, various regions. And so, I think that the the recognition of the importance of sovereign AI capabilities is now uh, quite quite global.
0: Jensen, does that recognition and, and your ability to help extend to China?
10: Well, we're an American company, and we have to comply with American policies and um, whatever the rules and regulations are and the laws are. Uh, we'll number one comply with them, uh, work closely with the regulators uh, and uh, understand understand uh, their intentions and their desires. Uh, work within those boundaries uh, and uh, be able to create products for for uh, the various countries that. that um, Are involved fully in compliance with the regulations that that are are, that are in front of us, Uh, and beyond that, uh, once we once we comply, uh, our goal, our and the United States would love to see us be a successful country, and 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 one of the pillars of national security is successful industries, and uh, it creates jobs um, uh, and uh, uh, allows our country to stay ahead and technologically, and so. uh, it is of, of great interest of our nation uh, that our American companies are successful around the world, and so once once we comply with the regulations, uh, we'll do our best to serve uh, the the local markets, and um, uh, we have full the the, the we have excellent uh, communications with with our uh, the administration.
0: How should we think about? Um Sovereign AI as a business line for you. Is there a way that we can understand how Nvidia's work, even if it's building supercomputers, like in the UK, for example, what proportion of your overall business that will represent?
10: The vast majority of of uh, the computing market has been United States, and um, to a small, to a much longer, smaller degree, China. Um, for the very first time, every industry would be. Uh, every single country will become a computer industry and every industry will become a technology industry. And so artificial intelligence or the automation, uh, the production at scale of, of intelligence um, matters to every single country and matters to every single industry. And so for, for the very first time, there's a, there's a whole new computer market that is going to be uh, in, in every single country and every single, every single market. And um, uh it starts with it starts with, of course, uh, uh, the, the native computer industry itself. Uh, but you're seeing you're seeing a great adoption in healthcare, great adoption in logistics, um, uh, in uh, in transportation, of course, uh, in manufacturing, in the large industries, the heavy industries. Uh, for the very first time, because of generative AI, computers are going to be computer technology
0: is going to impact. Uh,
10: literally every
0: single industry in every single country. NVIDIA CEO Jensen Huancaro is saying that data is a com- country's natural resource, but for them, let's be honest, it's a big growth market opportunity.
3: Absolutely phenomenal interview, just so wide-ranging, so global in its nature, kind of, well, exactly what you do so well, and we thank you for it. Great deep dive. Meanwhile, we've got some breaking news coming to us. In terms of the podcasting area, once again, we're starting to see that continue to mount. We have Joe Rogan set to renew his podcast deal with Spotify, we understand. So Joe Rogan, of course, one of the number one players in terms of the Spotify podcast offering and indeed one of the most expensive for them. Joe Rogan is set to renew his podcast deal with Spotify, and we will bring you the deep dive as to how much that is all going to be costing Spotify. TikTok. while users will no longer hear the music of artists like Taylor Swift, like Drake. While using the app, since talks between the social media platform and Universal Music Group, they failed. Here were the details. Bloomberg's Chris Palmieri. And Chris, the date was January the 31st. It wasn't able to be agreed upon. And the fight seems to be, what, from UMG's perspective over AI and money, and from TikTok's perspective, that we give you loads of free advertising, basically.
11: Yeah, I'm I'm smiling because uh, this is Grammy week in L.A., Uh, parties everywhere gearing up for Sunday's awards. Uh, It may have been a total coincidence, but uh, this was the perfect time for Universal to do this. Going to get a lot of sympathy from artists. It's going to be the number one topic of conversation everywhere and very awkward for TikTok. they're a, a huge part of the marketing of, uh, of music these days. Uh, you know, billion users, over 100 billion in revenue, uh, and yet only 1% of Universal Music's revenue. And so uh, this is gonna have an impact uh, on TikTok, uh, lesser impact on Universal, but everyone is, is gonna have something to say about this.
0: Chris, let's get some more on this breaking news. Uh, sources are telling Bloomberg that Joe Rogan's close to renewing a deal with Spotify, what are the details?
11: Well, uh, what we hear, uh, it's could could be announced in, you know this morning. Uh, it's uh, going to be another multi-year extension. It's probably going to be uh, an eye-popping number. The last deal was for 200 million for three years. Although we may not get the details immediately, uh, they uh, Spotify's been taking a different tack with their uh, podcasts uh, recently. The last deal with Rogan was exclusive, although they put some highlights up online. Uh, yeah, this one may be available on other platforms. So that would be a departure.
0: All right, Bloomberg's Chris Palmieri with that breaking news and some more details. Spotify up 2%. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Sticking with the music space, what if you could invest in a hit song? Jukebox, which is currently seeking SEC approval. Is a platform that aims to provide people with the opportunity to hold interest in music-related investments. Here to tell us more, ahead of the Grammys is the company's CEO, Scott Cohen. So for clarity, this is not something you yet have approval for. That is pending. But I guess I Correct. start with the demand side. You must know that this is something that either the everyday retail investor or firms actually want to buy into.
12: Yeah, I mean, you're talking about maybe the first time they've actually truly understood an investment they made. When we're talking about the retail investor, they may invest in a tech stock, but do they really know what's driving that? But when you talk about music, there's something fundamental that people know about music, that this is a hit song, and I'm gonna listen to it at my 10-year high school reunion and my 20-year reunion, and we'll play it at my wedding. You have a, a real feel for what songs are valuable and what are not.
3: You've got the music rights yourself exclusively secured. I think last time we wrote about it, it was at about $1.7 billion worth. Where are you sourcing that from? There's been so many interesting deals. Bieber selling his catalog um, to, of course, Ignosis. We've seen Bob Dylan do the same, John Legend. But where do you access the assets from?
12: Well, exactly those types of players. You know, as people are acquiring these these catalogs, they're looking for new ways to exploit them. And when I say exploit them, it's bring it to the very people that made these artists big in the first place and allow the retail investor to get in on these deals. Because we've all read about it, you know, Bruce and, as you said, Bob Dylan and Justin Bieber. Like, these are amazing deals, but nobody offered up any piece of it to the public. So for the first time, now the public can join in.
0: So there's a question on value and valuation and appreciation. Like we've done this on this show about sneakers. There are platforms mm-hmm. where you can trade sneakers and part of the value relates to their scarcity or rarity. In the, in the context of a song, isn't it just like whether everyone likes that song or not?
12: No, no, I, I would look at it a very different way. I mean, think about it. When music is played, somebody's getting paid. I mean, I don't care. You can go back however far you want, you know. So what if it doesn't get played? Elvis. What if well, it's a flop? Nobody's get... Well, what we're doing is listing songs that already will have our, an earnings history. It's not songs that have never made it. This isn't speculating on whether a song will be successful. This is looking at once a song is successful, it's always making money. I'm... I mean...
3: Is it is making as much money, st- Scott, given, for example, at the moment, UMG is at a with with TikTok because they're not paying enough?
12: Um, that's, if anything, that supports the thesis that music is really valuable. And, 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 and that is why they're fighting for it. When we look at music, there's a, there's a very typical decay curve. Sure, a song makes a lot of money when it's first released and it becomes a hit. And then it drops off pretty steadily over the next few years but then it hits its floor which is non-zero and then it earns money forever and mm-hmm. if you look at the goldman sachs report i think they're pegging at somewhere between six and eight percent annual growth for the music industry over the next decade yeah i mean once a song makes money it makes a lot at the beginning drops to a new level, and then slowly climbs. Mm-hmm. But then there's always this kind of wild card. Maybe it gets into yeah. a big film or a, you know, TV. Like, think about what happened on Stranger Scott. Things last season with Kate Bush. Yeah, like, these things right. take off. Jukebox CEO Scott Cohen.
3: Diversification of investment there, we thank you. That does it for this edition of Bloomberg Technology.
0: Check out the pod, what a week. This is Bloomberg.